This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host. Coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 13th day of February, 2024. Today is Fat Tuesday. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday as the Lenten season rolls in upon us. Um, As I said yesterday, (laughs) this long predates Catholicism. It is not a biblical festival. There is no requirement for anyone to observe it, but don't, there are Protestant churches that observe it and they, they are observing it to the glory of God and Romans 14, we're not to judge them for that. I, I don't observe Ash Wednesday. (laughs) You won't see me with a smudge on my forehead tomorrow, but I do indeed take some time during Lent, um, very, very old, old, uh, um, old church tradition to ponder the necessity of Christ's sacrifice. It's a time to mourn over sin and, uh, and that is an important thing for the Christian to do. Um, again, it is a tradition we don't have to follow. So today is Mardi Gras. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. Tomorrow is also Valentine's Day. Uh, And we will talk about that tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But it's a busy week. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, And now that football season is over, I can pull out my Cardinals hat. And we can begin thinking about baseball season. It's coming, baby. Wearing my Rally Squirrel t-shirt. Got my Cardinals hat here. I'm not going to wear it. I'll take it back off and put it back over here on the shelf. But I got it. We're ready for baseball. Spring training starts in just a few weeks. Yeah. Get excited. That means summer's coming. That means warmer temperatures. That means sandals and shorts and summer camp and, and, and warm temperatures. And I'm looking forward to that. I, 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 as I said, the older I get, the less enamored with winter weather I am. I like summer and I'm looking forward to summer. And even while I like summer, I will admit to a great fondness for air conditioning. So (laughs) we can, I've had Mrs. Squirrel walk into my office. I have a window air conditioner that goes in the window back here. And Mrs. Squirrel has walked in on more than one occasion and said, if it was this cold in the winter, you'd turn the heat up. <laughs> so it's, you, you can't please me. I want, I want to be warm in the winter. I want to be cool in the summer. Um, another reason why I'm looking forward to eternity when the temperature will be just right. So we can look forward to that. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about, like weather and air conditioning. 
We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. I encourage you to head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. I am indeed using my Def Leppard mug. It says on the other side, pour some sugar on me, which is amusing because I drink my coffee black. But I mentioned yesterday that Def Leppard is indeed my favorite rock band, and so I decided to pull that one out of the cabinet this morning. Thought about a t-shirt and everything, but nah, I don't need a Def Leppard-themed show. <laughs> I'd rather have a Cardinals-themed show. Oh. And I did sleep much better last night. <laughs> I, uh... I was in bad shape yesterday morning, and, and uh, I had a terrible headache. I don't know what was going on. I I had a lot of stuff to do, and a lot of it didn't get done because I, I just sat in my recliner, took some Advil, turned off all the lights. And I'm not, I'm not somebody who's prone to migraines, and I don't know that this was a migraine. It was just a headache. But I uh, don't know why I wasn't dehydrated. I wasn't, you know, it was just one of those things where I just, I didn't feel sick, but I had a headache and it was not pleasant. Luckily, it was gone by the afternoon. I was able to get some stuff done yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening. Had uh, class, I'm uh, auditing an expository preaching class um, taught by Josh Bice, which is excellent. Um, uh, and and it's he's covering a lot of the same material that is covered in a, uh, um, a G3 exegetical workshop. Those workshops that are put on by by Tom Buck. Um, if you are a preacher or a Sunday school teacher, I would encourage you, if at all possible, to attend one of the G3 exegetical workshops that they hold around the nation. I've only had a chance to do one. Um, it was on 2 Timothy with Vodi Bakum. And just the passage they're doing, the, the book of the Bible or, or section of the book of the Bible that they're doing is not as important as the tools they give you on how to do it. Um, I mean, it is helpful to you know, I mean, Second Timothy is such a great book. It was a fun, fun study to go through with Vodi, but the the um, like I said, the passage isn't as important as the actual tools and and methodology that is passed on for how to do a um, do exegesis, and then. Um, one of the things that Josh has shared with us is a, a, an app he uses on his iPad when he's working and how he goes about doing it. And it, it's helpful to me because I do the same thing that he's doing, but I print it out on paper and then write all over my printout. Um, 
but having it on the app on the on the tablet is is just a much much nicer way to do it um as, as far as quicker it doesn't it's you know not as messy you don't have you know paper all over the place and so i am i'm I downloaded that app and I'm going to start using it. I, I forget the name of it and I'm not going to go look for it because I'm using my iPad for my notes right now. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good, uh, good class on expository preaching. And then I've got, uh, Owen Strand tonight with the doctrine of the word. And, uh, I, I enjoy being GBTS's captain audit. I do. Um, I, I don't need the stress of taking the class for credit. Um, and, but I, I am enjoying acquiring the knowledge. We'll put it that way. It's always a good, uh, learning is a lifelong process and you need to keep learning and you need to stay busy learning. And, uh, so auditing these classes has been, a boon to me and I enjoy it greatly. All right. What do we got coming up today? We have scripture reading from the legacy standard Bible. We have prayers from the book of common prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's daily readings from the life of Christ and our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy continues. Excuse me. We are in Deuteronomy 28. Excuse me. Mm. And we will be picking up in uh, verse 27 this morning. So while you're finding your Bible and turning to Deuteronomy 28, although we got our scripture reading and everything in there first, that sound you hear is my Yeti thermos as I'm refilling my coffee cup. Got a whole show ahead, need a full cup of coffee. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture readings today are Genesis 44 and Psalm 
44. Genesis 44. Then he commanded his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Now put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As the morning light broke, the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. Now they had just gotten out of the city and were not far, not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Arise, pursue the men. You shall overtake them and say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from, who, from which my Lord drinks and which he uses, which he indeed uses to interpret omens? You have done evil in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. So he said, Now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it, shall be, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, but the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man brought his sack down to the ground, and each man opened his sack. So he searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Then Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. So they fell to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed interpret omens? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you... Go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, If your youngest brother does not come down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it happened that when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. If our younger bro youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out for me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, 
You will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in evil. So now, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, and his life is bound up in the boy's life, so it will be that when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became a guarantee for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the sin before my father all my days. So now, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord, and let the boy go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the boy is not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? And now Psalm 44. For the choir director of the sons of Korah, a maskil. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have recounted to us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, dispossessed the nations. Then you planted them. You afflicted the peoples. Then you cast them out. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command salvation for Jacob. Though through you we will push back our adversaries, through your name we will tread down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, and my sword will not save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Yet you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor and do not go out with our armies. You cause us to turn back from the adversary and those who hate us have plundered us for themselves. You gave us as sheep to be eaten and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for no amount and you have not profited from their price. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a mockery and a derision to those around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my dishonor is before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. Because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps deviated from your path. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Arouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? and forget our affliction and our oppression. For our soul has sunk down into the dust. Our body cleaves to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. This is the word of the Lord. And now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1 by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is Discerning False Prophets, The Character Test. 
You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Matthew seven sixteen and 17. Dr. MacArthur writes, One's basic character, attitudes, inner motives, loyalties, standards, eventually manifests itself in his or her life. Christians produce good fruit in their attitudes and actions, but unbelievers, especially false prophets, will eventually manifest bad fruit. False teachers can hide their true fruit for a long time, for a time behind ecclesiastical trappings, evangelical vocabulary, and false fellowship. But how they behave when they are not around Christians will soon enough reveal their true loyalties, true loyalties and convictions. Unless they exhibit moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and so forth, see 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, we can be sure God has not sent them and they do not belong to Jesus Christ. Another crucial indicator of character that we can look for, as summarized by Christ himself, is this. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's John 7:18. The teacher who emulates Christ and wants to glorify him is a genuine servant of the Lord, but the false one, no matter how clever, can't hide for long his corrupt character, and the discerning believer will recognize this. As John Calvin wrote, nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. Ask yourself, how does this teaching coexist with the judge not command from earlier in Jesus' sermon? That's an important question in our day and age. If you can't ask that, false teachers can twist you up. What happens when character judgments are treated as taboo by the people of God? How have you witnessed this occurring? If you can't question character, and if you see bad character and you cannot comment on it, it, it makes it very difficult to detect and counter false teachers. And we see this all around us. Um, even just this last weekend, the, the shooting at Joel Osteen's church, I have, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't know, I think I mentioned it yesterday during Monday Meanderings, I'm not sure. Um, it appears to be, <laughs> as near as we can tell, because of the confusion of our age and, you know, this was either a person born a man pretending to be a woman or a person born a woman pretending to be a man. All indications are at this point, it seems to be a, a, a man pretending to be a woman. But there's confusion because of the pronouns and all of that that are being used to describe this person. So we, we are confused by all of that. Um, and rightfully so <laughs> it needs to be when this whole thing is a mess. I, I, newspapers have long been a great source for historians. 
you know, we go back to 1912 and we read newspaper accounts of the sinking of the Titanic. That's one of the ways we learn about things in history. Um, what were the people saying at the time? What were the news stories at the time? Um, even going back just 50 years ago and watching the CBS News coverage of the moon landing, which is all on YouTube, by the way. I mean, hours and hours and hours of it. Walter Cronkite talking about the moon landing. Um, and and there's a couple of places where it's, it, I think CBS News posted whole sections, including commercials, without, you know, so you get commercials from the 1960s. Um, fun to watch. But they're, you know, like five, six hours. The entire broadcast the day of the launch. The entire broadcast the day of the landing. You know, interviews with, with scientists and whatnot. What what to expect. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, a valuable resource. Historians in the future, looking back on our age, are going to have a hard time determining, was this a man? Was this a woman? What was going on here? We really are in a crazy time. Um, and, and so, but anyway, all of that to say, the news reports, you know, it, that even solid Christian news networks and news reporters, you know, are calling Joel Osteen's organization a church and calling Joel Osteen a pastor because I guess you can't call out a false teacher in the midst of a tragedy. Well, absolutely you can. The shooting was evil and the pastor of the church is evil too. Um, Joel Osteen is uh, leading a lot of people to hell. Uh, I just point you back to the famous Give Us Some Men Who Know the Truth uh, Lawson Shepherds Conference address, which I think was from 2007, 2008. Have to go back and look. Where he, I mean, you've all seen the video. <laughs> Give us some men who know the truth. Yeah. Um, he, he points out exactly what a false teacher Joel Osteen is. And Joel Osteen has not improved in the 10, 12, 15 years since then. Um, and so, you know, that is something to consider. Um, it's hard to discern a false prophet when you're not allowed to judge their character. Um, and and in that passage in, in from Peter's epistles that Dr. MacArthur referenced, where it's talking about recognizing false teachers. What was that? Uh, uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Um, in that passage, it gives us two, two clues to look for, two defining characteristics of a false teacher. One is greed, greed for material gain. So when you see all these false teachers with their huge mansions and stuff like that, that is a sign, um, you know, you don't need a huge mansion like that unless you are, you know, actually, I don't know that anybody, the, you, you think back to the medieval castles and palaces, they were as much 
office buildings and military posts as they were homes. The, the, the purpose of, I mean, Buckingham Palace is full of staffers who are doing the work of the royal family. And the, the, the royal family in England is a working royal family. Um, and has been, you know, so, and when they used to rule instead of just reign, they reign now, but they used to rule. Um, whereas the, you know, they were heavily involved in the government and there's a lot of things that need to be taken care of. And so you had the household in the palace was government staff doing the same sort of work. It's like the white house. You know, the, the third floor of the White House is the residence. The rest of the White House is office. <laughs> and and you got people working there in the administration. And the royal family is the same way. So we think about these huge houses and we think, you know, look, they live in that big house. Most of the time, those historically, those big houses were more than just a residence. But you look at, Joel Osteen's multi-thousand square foot, you know, it's not an office. It's not where he is running his business from. I mean, it, it's, it's opulence for the sake of opulence. It's, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous with Robin Leach. <laughs> um, it's it's the rock star lifestyle. It's the the billionaire lifestyle. It's not the lifestyle of a minister. And that's something you know. I mean, a minister can have a nice house, but when it's far excessive of his needs, that's when you start questioning and and looking at you know the guilt or the the greed. The other uh, this big red flag that, uh, uh, that, uh, um, Peter puts out in that passage is sensuality, um, a, an inordinate, you know, sexual immorality, sensuality, pleasure. Um, that is the other sign. And, and, Honestly, when I you look at false teachers, you see greed and sensuality. Um, you look at, I mean, you know, you, you can't you can't get away from, you know, the. I mean, it breaks my heart every time I see a a well known pastor falling into sexual sin, um, but at the same time. Hey, there we go. First Peter says there's one of your signs and, and that lack of character. It can't be hidden for long. All right, we are resuming our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. We are in Deuteronomy 28. We are going through the blessings and the curses, <clears throat> which uh, God through Moses told the Israelites would come upon them. This is both a warning and a prediction. <laughs> it's warning what will happen if you do these things. And it's also predicting what will happen 
when you do these things. Um, so it has a dual purpose. It is prophetic. All of these things did fall upon them. We've looked at the blessings up through verse 14. And then beginning in verse 15, we started looking at the, the curses. Verse 15 begins with, But it will be if you do not listen to the voice of Yahweh your God to keep and to do all that his commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And we've looked at economic curses that would fall them. We've looked at, um, you know, the, the family, you know, the, the, the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herd and your flock would be cursed, you know, meaning that, you know, you wouldn't have as many children, you wouldn't have as many uh, lambs or calves born to your herds or flocks. Your ground would not put forth the crops that otherwise it would. And then, then beginning in verse 20, we started looking at, excuse me, clear my throat. Beginning in verse 10, 20, we start looking at these, uh, um, the, the evil which would overtake them from both natural disasters and from foreign forces. There would be drought, there would be famine. You know, all of this would come upon them, you know, pestilence, disease. And then verses 25 and 26, being defeated before your enemies. So you will go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. That's parallel to back in the blessings where it said your enemies would flee seven ways before you. But in the curses, you're going to flee seven ways before your enemy. I mean, you will be defeated and you will be terrorized. Um, verse 26, your carcasses will be food to all birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. You're going to be wiped out in battle and there will be nobody to bury the corpses. You will be food for birds. So 27 is continuing that same thing. Um, 27, 28, and 29, we see more plagues upon the people. It says, Yahweh will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. Yahweh will strike you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. And you will grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness, and you will not succeed in your ways. But you shall only be oppressed and robbed all your days with none to save you. So here we have diseases and confusion. Um, the, all the, the, the boils of Egypt was, of course, referring to one of the plagues during the Exodus. Exodus 9, verse 9, so, uh, verse 8, Moses is told to, to scatter soot in the air. And then in verse 9 we read, And it will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. 
And this was the first of the plagues that actually affected um, human health, that they would have boils and sores. Um, it was going to affect man and beast, so the animals as well would be suffering from boils. If you've ever had a boil, they're quite painful. I've, I've only ever had boils once, and, and it was technically one boil. Painful, painful thing. Um, not something you want to endure. And to imagine being covered with them, the pain that would bring. Um, I mean, I was brought low yesterday by a headache. What, uh, what would, uh, you know, that kind of constant pain. And in Amos 4.10, God says through Amos that he sent pestilence among the Israelites after the manner of Egypt. He says, I killed your choice men by the sword along with your captured horses, and I made the stench of your camp rise up even in your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, declares Yahweh. So the, the stench of the camp, the, the uncleanness, the, the sick smell of someone who is struck with pestilence. So, you know, these, these were carried out literally, that they suffered sores and disease in the in a like manner to those that were inflicted upon the Egyptians during the time of the Exodus. Um, God uses disease you know, to accomplish his will, and that includes punishing those who disobey him. Um, I think in our scientific age, we've gotten away from the idea of God sending calamity. You know, we, we understand, oh, well, disease is caused by germs and, and viruses, and sometimes you catch it, sometimes you don't, and your, 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 your weak immune system allows it to, to overtake you and make you sick, and it'll spread through a society given certain conditions, blah, 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 blah. And all of that is generally true. Yet... God divinely orchestrates everything and he uses disease and pestilence as acts of judgment. So, you know, don't ever think that, well, nothing just happens. We don't believe in coincidences. We don't believe in happenstance. Nothing just happens. God is sovereign over everything. So droughts, flood, diseases, warfare, these all come from God to accomplish his purpose. Um, and, and that's something that, that we need to really remember. Um, so, and then confusion. He says, he's going to strike you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. So it's not talking about physical blindness, although that may be included. It's talking about confusion, madness, blindness, bewilderment of heart, not being able to see and understand what is going on, such as the transgender movement, such as the confusion that I just mentioned about whether this shooter in Houston was a man or a woman. You know, there is confusion being sown. 
Um, and and that is that is part of God's punishment. Um, part of the punishment that was promised to Israel for certain. Said, so, you know, you're gonna grope at noon as a blind man gropes in the darkness. That you will not succeed in finding your ways. So this is a, you know, you're going to try the wrong things and then you're not going to succeed. You're going to be lost and adrift in the world and things are not going to go well for you. That's what he's saying to Israel. It says, you shall only be oppressed and robbed all your days with none to save you. So, you know, this is perpetual victimhood and not victimhood in some privileged class sense. This is your, your, you're going to be so helpless that you're just going to be oppressed and taken advantage of constantly because you're such an easy target. This is what was promised to Israel for disobedience and for rejecting God. And then in, in verses, uh, 30 and, and following here, we're looking at what are the results of all of this? The military defeat, the diseases, the helplessness, what's going to happen? Um, this is in contrast to back in the, in the previous verses where, you know, there's that, uh, I think it was back in chapter 27, where it, it was maybe even in 26, the, uh, um, where a, a soldier, if a man had betrothed his wife, he was to uh, take a year off so that he, and spent it from military service to be with his wife. Um, here, that's not the case. This is what's going to happen as a punishment from God. You shall betroth a wife but another man will violate her. You shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat of it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you and will not be returned to you. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and you will have none to save you. This is the result of military defeat. You know, it is a, a truth of war that when an invading army comes in, women are raped. We, we've seen this in uh, Israel with the Gazan invasion. It was actually part of their plan to rape women as, as a terror campaign. But even when it's not part of the military plan... It happens. Um, it's probably happening in the Ukraine as well, when Russian soldiers take a Ukrainian village. Um, and there have been many instances where, where a country's own soldiers rape the women of their own country as they move through an area, as lawlessness goes forth. Um, it, it's a... It's a sad truth about the depravity of man. So here, you shall betroth the wife and another man will violate her. 
that's a truth of war. And in this instance, you know, I mean, no man's going to be standing around and watching that happen. He's been rendered helpless, either killed or captive, and, and has no ability to stop it. Um, you shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You're going to be conquered, and someone else is going to live in the house you built. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. You will be conquered, and the conqueror will enjoy the fruit of your labor, not you. Your ox is going to be slaughtered before your eyes, but you don't get to eat of it. <laughs> the invading army will eat of it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you and will not be returned to you. you know, the, the, your beasts of burden will be taken to serve the army, not for your use. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies. So you're going to lose flocks, you're going to lose herd, you're going to lose family, you're going to lose home as a result of military invasion. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people while your eyes look on and yearn for them all the day long and there will be nothing you can do. Your children are going to be taken as slaves to be used and abused by your enemy and you'll never see them again. This is serious curses being pronounced on the people of Israel. It's a scary thing. A people whom you do not know shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors, and you will never be anything but oppressed and crushed all your days. And you shall be driven mad by the sight of what your eyes see. Yahweh will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Yahweh will lead you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation, which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become an object of horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the people where Yahweh drives you. Folks, this was exactly what happened to Israel. This was the final step of ancient Israel. The Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and scattered them, carried them off into captivity where they would serve gods of wood and stone. Then, a hundred years later, the Babylonians captured the southern kingdom of Judah, the city of Babylon, 605 B.C., the kings of Judah, they, were, they, they, they captured or killed and, and set up their own puppet king, and then he rebelled. And they, I mean, just it was a total mess. But the king himself got dragged off to Babylon. They, they made him watch his children be killed, and they put out his eyes. So that was the last thing he ever saw. And then they dragged him off to Babylon in captivity. So Yahweh will lead you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation 
which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you will serve other gods. Um, as far as the diseases talked about there in, in chapter uh, 35, um, Zephaniah 1.13, it says, you know, it will be that their wealth will become a spoil and their houses desolate. Indeed, they will build houses, but not inhabit them, plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. And then uh, the diseases, you know, um, these are a lot like what Job suffered. If you look at 2.7, um, uh, 2 Chronicles 29, 8 and 9 says, Therefore the wrath of Yahweh was against Judah and Jerusalem, and he made them an object of terror, of horror, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. And behold... Our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Remember, you know, we're, we're looking at that time of captivity at the end of, uh, we, we can divide Israel up into three stages. You have ancient Israel. That ended with the Babylonian captivity destruction of the temple first temple first temple judaism you know the first temple was destroyed in in uh, 587 bc jerusalem was destroyed um or 586 586 i think you know, 605 was the babylonian captivity beginning and then 586 after babel after israel had rebelled seven several times the babylonians said enough of this and destroyed the city and the sanctuary the temple was raised to the ground. Um, and so you you had that take place. Then you had what, what we can think of as classical Israel, um, which is began with the, the return um, from the captivity um, when Cyrus let them return and, and rebuild the temple, Ezra and Nehemiah the post-exilic prophets, and then through the time of Christ. And that really ended in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Israel and, and, and the temple was destroyed again. <laughs> and now we have modern Israel, which began in the 1940s, um, those are really the three periods of the history of Israel in the land. Um, and the judgments fell over them. Now, it's interesting when we look at here at the end in, in uh, verse 36, this is where we see it's prophetic. Moses, writing to a people who had no king, says, Yahweh will lead you and your king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. So this is the promise of judgment for rejecting Israel, and it is prophecy of judgment. Now there is a lot left in this chapter. Um, looking at the clock, we're going to stop right here at verse 37. So we will resume tomorrow at verse 38. 
I'm going to try to move quickly through it because a lot of it's more of the same um, until we get to the restoration when they finally turn back. Um, and, and that's not until really chapter 30 that we get the promise of the return. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting down to the end of Deuteronomy. Um, and this section does get repetitive, but what is the, uh, <laughs> what is the, uh, key to learning <laughs> repetition? So we will pick up again in verse 38 tomorrow morning. Um, as we continue to look at this, sorry to be such a bummer. I mean, this is not happy stuff. This is not happy stuff. Take me back and read the blessings again, right? Um, because we're looking at, you know, calamity that's going to befall Israel for disobeying God. But remember, all of these promises of calamity end with a promise that Israel would turn to God and be saved. So it's not over yet. Um, just as we have, you know, promises of judgment upon the earth, but, you know, it's going to be horrible, but the end of it is going to be glorious. And so, in the midst of the darkness, remember that the dawn is coming. Remember that God is sovereign, God is in control, and he has promised to restore everything. The, the, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be sin-free and glorious. And there will never be this kind of darkness and calamity again. And we can look forward to that with joyful anticipation. So um, it is, you know, there, this is the darkness before the dawn, but the dawn is coming. Um, and we see that throughout the scriptures. Um, and so, you know, continue to, to have hope, you know, Grieve over this world, but don't grieve like those who have no hope. If you have indeed come by faith alone to Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, the darkness is passing. You know, the, it is the light that is forever. So, all right, pick up in verse 38 tomorrow. Let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and, so and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son 
revealed his glory upon the holy mountain. Grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Peace. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you is eternal life and to serve you is perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. Have a great day. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Never give up hope. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.